I agree with you. It is impossible to imagine what it will be like, what we will say, what we will experience. In fact, that's what God's word tells us. Paul tells us we, we, it's impossible to know, impossible to imagine. So that's a great thing, isn't it? Because I can imagine lots of wonderful things. As I was thinking about uh, when I watched the Father's Day video and he was talking about uh, the one thing dads never say, I want a smaller TV. Uh, that, that's me. I know we've been, Sarah and I have been married almost 30 years. I've been a father for 24 years and my TV has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger over the years. So in fact, I just got a new one that's bigger and uh, to get any bigger now, I'm going to have to get a bigger room or a bigger house. So I don't know what I'm going to do next, but uh, so I can imagine bigger TVs and I can imagine <laughs> wonderful things and to think that heaven's going to be something that we can't even imagine. And I also know adults when you saw Landon and Dylan walking back and forth, you were glad you were not up here walking back and forth. And you were glad that Pastor Brady didn't have some adult sins that he was uh, asking if you had ever committed. So please don't do that next week with adults, okay? I, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> so. Today we are continuing in the book of Ephesians. We are in Ephesians chapter 5 if you want to turn there. It's beginning in verse 22. Also, we are continuing where Paul said to us to walk in wisdom. And remember, when we walk in wisdom, we can only do that if we are filled by the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 5, Paul talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And he talked, remember last week, about singing songs as we talk to each other, singing songs from our heart to the Father. Talked about... Uh, Submitting to one another, those were signs that we were filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, today he talks about the family and how being filled by the Spirit should affect how our family life is. Now this is, I have this picture for you because this, I imagine, is what some people's opinion of what the perfect family should look like. And notice they have perfect teeth, perfect smiles, uh, perfect children, perfect mom and dad. I imagine they're probably not even a real family. They're probably all models that they just put together to make the picture. And my point is this, that often in public, we can put on the perfect smile and almost live the perfect life. Because maybe people only see you for a few moments a day. Uh, they only see you in certain situations. If life was only an hour on Sunday mornings, we all could be perfect. Uh, don't you think we could at least for an hour put on the face and put on perfection? But when we are in our home and we are with our wife and our husband, when we're with our kids, that's when our true personality and our true person comes out, doesn't it? I mean, you ask my kids the type of person I am. Now, hopefully it'll be the same as you've watched, but I'm sure they've seen some things that you've never seen. And if we're all honest, that's true of all of our families and all of us. And so it is easy maybe at times to look good in most situations. Your family knows who you really are. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And so if the Holy Spirit is going to fill us. It's going to be seen in our family. And God is going to help us live a life where not we're just putting on a show for the public. But genuinely, what people would see in public if it looked like it was a godly person, that would be true in our family as well. 
And that when you ask children who their mom and dad is, they would tell you and it would be exactly the same thing that you have seen. I want to tell you, though, as we come to these passages, there are some very controversial verses here in Ephesians. And it seems kind of strange to think when Paul starts to talk about the family, it would be some of the most controversial in the whole Bible. You would think if it was going to be controversial verses, they wouldn't be here. When Paul's talking about family, what can be controversial about family? But I also want you to notice that these verses, like this one, wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. This verse and verses like it literally divided the Southern Baptist Convention. Do you realize there are actually two Southern Baptist state conventions in Virginia because of this verse and similar ones? That's how controversial this one verse is. This controversial verse, slaves obey your human masters with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. Paul telling slaves to obey their masters? Paul not telling us in this verse that slavery is evil and sinful? How could he do that? Why would he do that? That certainly is a controversial verse. But as we think of them as being controversial, I want you to know they're really very radical verses. I want you to try to imagine the society in which Paul was writing. It was far different from ours. And you are glad it's far different. In Paul's society, women had next to no rights whatsoever. Ladies, did you know your husband could just say, I want a divorce, sign a piece of paper, and you're gone? That's all he had to do. Ladies, on the other hand, you couldn't do anything to divorce your husband. You could write all the papers you want. You could do whatever you want. It wasn't going to happen. Uh, children had no rights. In fact, fathers had ultimate rights in their family. They could even sentence family members to death. That's how absolute their power was in a family. Slaves in those days, and it's estimated that in the Roman Empire at the time Paul was writing, about a third of the entire Roman Empire were slaves. So that was a large group of people. But slaves were considered, especially by the Greeks, just to be other tools. You know, you make an inventory of your tool shed, and here's a rake, and here's a hoe, and, and here's a, today would say, here's a mower. You would put next to that, here's a slave. In fact, they were literally called tools that could talk. Your rake couldn't talk to you, but your slave could. But he was still just a tool. That's how much value that person had. So for Paul, in that society to say, as we will see in these verses, how family life should be, those were radical ideas that Paul had. In fact, they were radical ideas that did change a society. And you will notice in human history, as Christianity became more and more influential and as people and as countries became more Christ-like in how they ordered their family, the way that people were treated and the way that women, children, and whole societies were treated became much better. These were radical ideas that changed civilization. Yet today we look at them as very controversial. 
before I even get to the verses. In fact, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on the individual verses today. Because really, in my opinion, they're not difficult to understand what they say. The problem is living them out. <laughs> That's the hard part. And it begins with this. Before we even get to them, one of the problems all of us have is that we have trouble submitting to God himself. If all of us would submit to God, there'd be a whole lot less problems and our families would look a whole lot better. Our society would look a lot better. I would, in fact, say if all of us submitted to God 100%, we would live in a perfect family, in a perfect society. But that's the problem, we don't. That's where everything begins. Before I look at any of these verses, it begins with me, it begins with you, all of us submitting to God. See, it's not about what the husband wants or what the father wants or what the wife wants or what the kids want or the slave or the master wants. It's not about what they want. It's about what God wants. James 4, 6, and 7, Paul, uh, James writes this. But he, referring to God, gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The context of these verses is Paul, excuse me, Paul. That's what we're talking about in Ephesians. James, writing here, James is saying, in the verses before this, that friendship with the world is being an enemy with God. He lays out a choice. We can be friends of God or we can be friends of the world. That's the choice we have. And then these verses follow immediately afterwards. He says that God gives grace to those who humble themselves. Those who don't, those who are proud, those who make their life all about them, those are the ones that God brings down. He resists them. So James says you have a choice. You can think all about yourself. You can lift yourself up. It can be all about you. That is the same as being a friend of the world. God will bring you down. And in fact, Satan is going to have control over your life. On the other hand, you can submit to God. Humble yourself before him. Make him the king of your life. Make his will what you do. Follow him. And everything. Submit, humble yourself before him. And if you do that, then God will give you grace and lift you up. And also, Satan is going to flee from you. So what all of us need is more submission to God and less exalting of ourselves. If we all have that attitude when we come to these verses... I think they make more sense. And even before I come to them, I want to lay out some principles to help us understand how we interpret them. One is that God has created a universe that is ordered. That's obvious when you look at creation. There's an order to it. And because God has done that, he's also given order to society. If you remember in the book of Corinthians, the Corinthians worship service was kind of chaotic. Uh, I know different worship styles look different. 
Uh, sometimes the worship style is so strict and rigid, you wonder if people are even awake or alive when they're worshiping God. And other times there's people rolling in the floor and barking like dogs, not to make fun of them, but that does happen. And so there's all kinds of different worship styles. But in Corinth, they were, uh, no, they were speaking in tongues and they were speaking over each other and uh, someone would pop up and start saying something. Someone's doing it here. If you went in there, it was just noise. It was just chaos. And Paul says, stop it. God is a God of order. He's not a God of chaos. And Paul gave them instructions so that they could have an ordered worship service so that people could understand what was going on. That's how the universe is, and that's how God has set up society with an order. And that's very important when we come to the next verses. Also, if you have a certain order in society, it has nothing to do with equality, nothing to do with worth. Every single person is created in God's image. Every single one, there's no one who's not. So we are all the same in that sense. God's image. Because we are created in God's image, we have worth, and we don't have any more worth than someone else. Someone else doesn't have any more worth than us. We all have ultimate worth because we're created in God's image. And we're all equal. Paul says in Galatians, there's no Jew or Gentile, male or female, slave or free. Those are categories in society. Those are even biological differences that God has created. Those things exist, but that doesn't make us unequal. We are all equal because we're all created in the image of God. We're also equal in our sin. We're all sinners. And all of us are saved by the same God, saved in the same way, faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus saves all and any who come to him in faith. So everyone is equal even though you may have a different place in society. Also, if someone's... You realize that God the Father doesn't mean that someone who is the head is superior. You realize that God the Father is head over God the Son, Jesus? I mean, think about that. How can the Father be the head of Jesus? There's only one God, three equal persons in one. That's what the Trinity is, isn't it? So it's not like God the Father is superior to Jesus and Jesus is superior to the Holy Spirit. There is no superiority. They're equal, they're one, they're the same. But the Father is the head, Paul tells us, over Jesus. Also, everyone is under submission. As I said earlier, all of us are to submit to God. Nature is supposed to submit to us. Remember, in the original creation, God gave Adam and Eve authority over nature, over creation. All of us are to submit to government, submit to husbands, children to parents. All of us are to submit to government. Church congregation is to submit to spiritual leaders. And Christians, as we read in Ephesians 5.21, last week are to submit to each other. So do you see the point? Every single one of us, me and all of you, all of us are to submit. In one way or another, we are submitting. 
You as a congregation are to submit to the church leaders. All of us are to submit to our government. All of us are to submit to God. Now isn't it true that often we dislike, disagree, hate what our government does? Nevertheless, we are to submit to it. Uh, Isn't it true that you as a congregation don't always agree with what the pastors do or say? But nevertheless, there's still supposed to be submission. Uh, In fact, I heard this quote this week. Well, actually, I read it on the Internet. So again, consider the source, okay? What I saw was a, a, a picture that said Joyce Meyer said this. So maybe she did, maybe she didn't. But I liked what this said. Until we learn to submit to authority... We're never going to be able to submit to God. Have you ever thought about it that way? We talk about submitting to God, but sometimes people will submit to God and they won't submit anywhere else. So they think they submit to God, but they rebel against church authority. They rebel against the government. They're not submissive to each other. How can you be really submissive to God if you won't submit to the authority that God has established? We'll never submit to God if we don't learn to submit to authority. That's what I'm saying here. When we submit to authority, we're really submitting to God. Because he's the one who's placed the order there. And this is very important. Paul's commands are for life in general. What he's doing is he's writing and telling people who are in a situation. If you're married and you're a man, you're the husband. You're in a situation. If you're married and you're a wife, you're in a situation. Even for the slaves, if they're slaves, they're in a situation. He's writing to these people and saying, if you're in this situation, this is how you can do it in a godly way. This is how you can make the best of it. He's not writing a dissertation on marriage. He's not writing a policy paper on slavery. He's also not writing thinking about every single individual circumstance that you can imagine. He's writing a letter to churches. He doesn't have time to think about all of those and write to all of those. So again, I can, here's a perfect example. The, the, the disciples, when they were told by the government to stop talking about Jesus, they said, we can't obey that. We can't submit to that authority who's telling us to disobey God. We obey God first. Children, your parents tell you to do something that God wouldn't want you to do. You don't obey your parents. When our government tells us to do something that God would disapprove of, we don't listen to our government. So there's an easy example to understand, isn't it? We submit to God first and obey him first. Even though authority may tell us to do something, we don't submit to that authority. They tell us to disobey God. And Paul doesn't address that in Ephesians 5 and 6. We think more specifically about uh, marriage, for example. Paul doesn't mention anything about a husband who's abusive. Why would a wife submit to a person who brings violence, brings uh, hurt? You don't. Don't submit to that person. Why would a a slave submit to a master if he can get his freedom and leave? He wouldn't. He'd get his freedom and he would leave. So when we look at the verses, 
Too many times we start to think in absolutes. Well, Paul said wives have to submit to the husbands. That means everything. and he has to, She has to do it no matter what he says. That's not what he said. It doesn't say either that Paul said slavery was a good thing and it should be everywhere and, and slaves should be obeying their masters all the time. And He doesn't say that. Because he's not talking about every individual situation. And finally, this is what submission is. That's important to know, isn't it? Submission is voluntarily yielding to one who has authority and a leadership structure. You're doing it voluntarily because you realize God is who you ultimately submit to. You realize that God has set up an order. You're submitting to that authority, that structure that God has made. You're voluntarily putting yourself under that authority. That's what submission is. I've taken up almost all my time just to give you this and haven't even got to the first verse yet. But this is why. Because I think when you understand these principles, the verses make more sense. I'm going to start with dads and husbands first because it's Father's Day. So the verses are out of order. And I'm going to go very quickly. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. I want you to notice something in all of these commands. You'll see I've highlighted in yellow that every time Paul talks about what a person is to do, they are supposed to do it under or as they would to Christ. Again, God is at the center of all of this. Every single command Paul gives, God, who is the ultimate one we submit to, God who set up the authority, that is who we are to understand we're doing this for when we do it. It's really simple, guys. If you're a husband, you are to love your wife, and you are to love your wife like Jesus loves his church. I can tell you this, there hasn't been a man yet who's been a husband who's done that. Because how could you love exactly as Jesus has loved the church? Paul tells us here, Jesus died for the church. Not only did he die for it and live, love sacrificially, but the idea that Paul says here that Jesus is trying, is, he talks in terms of making us the church holy and blameless. But of course, it's not the husband's job to make their wife holy holy and blameless. But what he, the point is that everything that Jesus is doing for the church, he's doing it for the betterment of the church. Even though he's God, his idea is, here's my church. I want them to be better, and everything I do for them is so they will be better. So in other words, husbands, when it comes to your wife, your thought should be, and whatever you say to your wife, whatever you do for your wife, 
What can I do that's best for her, that lifts her up, that encourages her? So all of your, your thoughts and your actions, they shouldn't be about yourself. It should be about her and how you sacrificially love her and how you can do, how you can be a person that makes her life better. That's the exact opposite of how most people think about their marriage. It doesn't matter, husband or wives, usually we're thinking about what's in it for us. And we get upset when we're not getting what we want. Paul turns that upside down. It's not about us, it's about our spouse. And he shows it here with husbands. And so they are to love their wives as Christ loves the church. Fathers, today's Father's Day, this is what you're supposed to do with your children. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction, notice again, of the Lord. Fathers, when you have your children, you, can, you know this, there are things that you can do that can make your children angry, that can make them frustrated. I don't have the time to list all the things that we often do. Uh, if we punish them without telling them why, that can cause anger. If we have expectations that are unreasonable, if we use words that are always demeaning and putting them down, I could go on and on, but again, the focus isn't on kids. These are my kids. They're supposed to uh, behave perfectly and obey me perfectly, and if they don't, I'm just going to swat them. Notice Paul is saying to bring them up. Again, the focus is on having children who are brought up in the instruction of the Lord, training of the Lord, and our actions don't provoke them to anger, don't uh, help frustrate them, because we're concerned about them and we love them. Wives are to submit to your husbands. Wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. These are the controversial verses, but after everything I said, I don't think they should be so controversial. Again, God has ultimately set up a structure in society. Husbands are the head of their wives. Wives are to submit to their authority. That's what Paul says. It gets controversial when we add things to it. When we want a marriage or we want a society where there's no submission. Well, that doesn't exist. It's not supposed to exist. Think about how marriage here is supposed to work. A husband is to love his wife sacrificially and only think about what's best for her. And a wife is supposed to submit to her husband's authority as he's loving her and wanting the best for her. If both husband and wife did that, I don't think there'd ever be any marriage problems. So don't get mad at God if he comes up with an ideal and we don't follow it and there's problems with it. Think about where marriage problems come. It comes when husbands don't love their wives. They want to make their wives submit, or they want what they want. They don't care what their wives want. Or a wife doesn't care what her husband wants. All she cares about is herself. She usually will tell the husband over and over what she wants and how he's not providing it for her. 
That's where the problems come. If you think about your own marriages, when have the biggest problems been there? I would say this. I can't say it 100%, but I would say, I'm going to say it. 100% of the time, you have problems in your marriage because one of you or both of you are selfish. And these verses tell us not to be selfish. Children are to obey your parents. Hear that, kids? Parents love to highlight this in the Bible. I don't know about kids how much they like it. Children, obey your parents. Notice again, in the Lord, because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. Paul says, children, obey your parents. Now again, kids, I know there's some children here. If you're under 18, you're living at home. I guess if you're over 18 and living at home, you still should probably listen to your parents. Obviously, once we're out of our parents' house out of, and we're adults, we don't have to obey our parents. We still honor them, though. And while we're in our parents' house, when we're underage, we do what they say. Now, again, some parents, no parent's perfect. Some of the things they say makes no sense. I could probably look at this family right here. <laughs> and uh, the Itners. I know my family's that way. But kids, you're to obey your parents, unless, of course, they tell you to do something that God wouldn't want you to do. But again, children are thinking about their parents. Parents are thinking about their children. Again, if both of those did those, there wouldn't be the friction in a family. If parents always thought about their kids first and how they disciplined and what they said and how they made their decisions... And if the kids also thought about their parents first instead of about themselves first. See, that's the whole point, I think, of this whole thing that Paul is saying. Slaves, obey your masters. I'm going to use some of what Paul says to talk about us as employees and employers, too. And I will say this. The Bible does say explicitly that kidnapping people and enslaving them is a sin. Paul does say to slaves elsewhere that if you have a chance to be free, get free. Paul also wrote a letter. Remember the, the book of Philemon? It's the shortest in the New Testament. And it's a, a letter to Philemon because his slave Onesimus had run away. And Paul basically says to Philemon, free Onesimus, he's a brother in Christ, and treat him as such. So the Bible implicitly condemns slavery. And Paul, and what he has said in Ephesians and other places of how slaves and masters are to treat each other, if you did that, then you would have no slavery. That's the whole point. Because what he says, as you will see, is slaves are to obey your human masters with fear and trembling and the sincerity of your heart, as you would Christ. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. Do God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not people, knowing that whatever good each does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. And masters, treat your slaves the same way without threatening them because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. So again, really, if you begin with the master, the way a master, if you want to say an employer, is supposed to treat those underneath them, Treat them really as an equal. Don't threaten them. 
Again, think about what's best for them. Well, gosh, if you're actually a, a slave owner and that's how you're supposed to treat your slaves, they're not slaves anymore. They're brothers in Christ or they're uh, fellow neighbors, fellow humans. If you had slaves like that and you treated them that way, you'd let them go. That's what Paul is saying, although not explicitly saying it. Because again, he's not speaking about, uh, he's not writing a, a document on the issue of slavery. He's telling people who own slaves, and he's telling slaves who are in slavery, if you're there, this is how you act. Is Paul going to tell a slave master to act any differently than to love his slave and to think about his slave the most uh, at first? And what would he tell a slave? Run off from your master? If he did that, it would be worse for him. So that's why he tells, him, tells the slave to think about the fact that he is really working for God. And if he works his best and works as though he's working for God, God's going to see and God's going to reward. And if you gave that advice to a slave in Paul's day, that would give their daily life purpose and that would give them reward in heaven. And if they did that, and the master also did what he was supposed to do, it would end slavery. Think about this too, as if you work. I love these verses, if you think about them, if you work for someone. Isn't it true that often when people work, uh, they do work only when the boss is there, right? <laughs> when the boss is away, that's when you loaf. And uh, you think, well, gosh, here I am at work again on Monday morning. Don't think about it just working for your boss. That's a miserable way to, to work. To think every day is just working for my boss, working for the man, making him money. No, you're working for God. And so if you're working for God, you want to do your best. And you want to do it all the time. Really, we who are Christians should be the best employees. Because... We do our job, we do it well, we don't cheat our boss, we don't loaf on our boss, because we're working for the Lord, and as we work, our employer should see us and say, wow, I haven't had employees like this. Usually they're always trying to get something out of me and always trying to, to get money for doing no work. Here's someone who truly is different. That's how we should work for our bosses. This is how we walk with God, filled with the Holy Spirit in our families. I wish I had more time. I've already gone over a lot of time already, and I really just scratched the surface. So I want you to understand this, then, if you can't understand anything else. The most important thing is that all of us submit ourselves to God, and we think about others first before we think about ourselves. That's the bottom line. Paul says that elsewhere. In Philippians, he says that very same thing. He says, look at Jesus' example. Jesus, who is God and who had heaven, gave it all up and humbled himself even to die on a cross for us. He says, have that same attitude. And he says, think of other people before you think of yourself. If you're a husband, think of your wife before you think of yourself. If you're a wife, think of your husband before you think of yourself. Parents, think of your kids before you think of yourself. Kids, think about your parents before you think about yourself. If you're working for a boss, think about him before you think about yourself. If you have employees, think about them 
before you think about yourself. Brothers and sisters in Christ here at church, think about others in the church before you think about yourself. Your neighbors, think about them before you think about yourself. That's how we live life as Christians. And if everyone lived life that way, this whole world would be completely different. It would be far, far better. Father, we thank you for your word and how it instructs us how to live life. Father, I know these commands are controversial. I know these commands are difficult to obey and oftentimes hard to understand all the ins and outs of them. So, Father, I pray that you would help us and give us that wisdom to know how to live them out. But most of all, Father, I pray that you would just give us the proper attitude when it comes to loving you, serving you, and loving and serving our brothers and sisters. Father, help us to understand and help us to live. And I pray, Father, in your name, amen.